women's IT world. Welcome to episode five in a series of podcasts of the women's IP world. Today, I have the distinct privilege of talking with Ayala Deutsch, Executive Vice President and Deputy General Counsel of NBA Properties and the 2020 INTA President. We are celebrating and shining the spotlight on women working in intellectual property law and innovation. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I am the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life, and we are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of Northens Media PR and Marketing Limited based out of the U.K. and London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. Let's start with your presidency, Ayala. President of INTA, hands down, INTA must be the world's largest IP organization. In case there is a single listener not familiar with INTA, it's the International Trademark Association. I've heard people have a, let's say, a different point of view on the pronunciation of the organization, so I want to make sure we get it right, Ayala. I've heard people say INTA as the preferred pronunciation, but I've also heard many people call the organization INTA. So what's what's your take? Well, I think we prefer the International Trademark Association and INTA um, as a brand matter, uh, and I think people have been getting more used to that recently. Um, but as long as people are familiar with the extraordinary work the association does, I think that's what counts most. So how many members are there in INTA and from how many countries? Well, we have um, over 30,000 members um, from literally hundreds of countries. It is truly the most global organization I have had the pleasure of being associated with. Um, And that's really reflected in everything the association does, from its conferences and programs to its advocacy um, to just the, you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about gender diversity today, but, but even just the regional and geographic diversity of the members is just um, a huge um, asset of INTA and it's, it's, something that I think the organization really excels at. During your term, COVID-19 was the headline of most news that we received. So as INTA president, how did the organization navigate through that to have its message heard? How did it deal with the, that, that sort of challenge? Sure. So um, the INTA uh, presidential term is one year. And it begins on January 1st and ends on December 31st. So it's a calendar year. Um, So my presidential term started on January 1st, 2020, in a distant time and place before anyone knew about COVID. Uh, And it ended on December 31st of last year. Ayala, what was your path to becoming INTA president? 
Well, you know, what's amazing about IMTA is that although COVID posed challenges as it did for everyone, professionally and personally, uh, I think IMTA was able to do a tremendous amount of good work uh, in the year I was president and since in the last few months, uh, despite COVID. Uh, and that was really one of the things that impressed me most about my term as president was the resilience and effectiveness of the organization, the staff and the members to really create headlines other than COVID, uh, the Women's Leadership Initiative being one of them, which was something we launched early in COVID in, in March of last year on International Women's Day and something that we really accomplished a lot um, in its first year, notwithstanding COVID. So COVID was the headline, but we were, we were, INTA was able to do a lot of other things. And being a longtime member and receiving the emails, it was wonderful to get updates from around the world from INTA. So before we get into the Women's Initiative, which we will definitely cover. Can you tell us for those that are maybe members at large or not involved in leadership, what was your INTA path towards presidency? Sure. I, you know, I wouldn't say for most of the path, I viewed it as a path toward presidency, but it turned out that way. Um, I was active, have been active on INTA committees and task forces and project teams for more than 20 years. Um, in the course of that, that has um, led to some leadership positions in some of the committees. Uh, I was asked to be on the board for the first time a number of years back, and that kind of further exposed me to the inner workings of the organization. I definitely, you know, attended a lot of meetings, spoke at some meetings, spoke in some panels and conferences. Um, and then a few years ago was approached and asked to rejoin the board as an officer and kind of the way it works at INTA is there's a, a six officers and um, the expectation is that as each of them serves a one-year term starting with secretary and then running through to president and once you're nominated to be secretary it's typical that you eventually make your way up to president so Having been approached a few years ago to uh, become secretary and join the board as an officer, I served in various officer capacities, and then 2020 was my presidential year. Okay, and that, that's helpful for succession planning. Yes, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to have some kind of track at, at some point. That's yeah. very interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Um, I know that you've been involved and you know many of us with INTA for decades. Um, most IP practitioners are, are members in various capacities, whether it's just attending the annual meeting um, or taking on a leadership role on the board or, in the, or on the committee level um, is very active. So um, when you were installed as president on January 1, 2020, and people were living their lives as usual, um, I'm sure you had certain goals. I mean, I'm sure your your calendar was bananas with travel. That's for one, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, but then things started shifting. So 
what would you say was, um, or was there any goal that was delayed or stifled in any way because of lockdowns? Yeah, it's such a good question. I would say there are goals that um, were reimagined, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't yeah. think there's anything we actually missed out on. You know, when I started in January, I'll just tell you um, three quick things about my into presidency pre-COVID, although that was a very short period. Um, the first is that um, every January we have something called INTA Week where the new president visits the INTA office in New York and pre-COVID staff from INTA's offices around the world come to New York and the incoming president gets to meet all the INTA staff and um, hear presentations from the different departments and regional offices. So I was fortunate that that happened for me in person in January, 2020. And then, you know, as president, I was asked to share kind of what are some key uh, thoughts and, um, you know, uh, objectives we should have in mind, uh, as, as we go through the course of 2020. And I told people, um, one teamwork makes the dream work. And I was very focused on leveraging what is already a skill at the, at INTA, but doing it even more, making sure we were working across different departments, across different regional offices, partnering with the volunteer members, et cetera. My second was um, polish up your crystal balls uh, because I was very focused on trying to be forward looking and thinking about the future, which again, INTA as an organization is great at. Um, You know, one of the things in our uh, existing strategic plan, a 2020 through 2022 strategic plan is embracing innovation and change. And when I started in January, 2020, there was a lot of that. We had think tanks about the future IP law firm, the future IP legal department, the future IP office. Um, We were thinking about a lot of forward-looking substantive issues like AI and the internet of things and 3D printing. Um, So it was very forward-looking. And then my third um, message was, try to find at least one reason every day to laugh. Um, And so I said all that in January. And then when I met with the staff in December to kind of say goodbye, I said, you know, it's so interesting to me. All those three things turned out to be even more important in a year of COVID than I realized they would be in January, but they played out in different ways. Um, I do think INTA demonstrated an incredible ability to work as teams, as a team working remotely. I think we were incredibly innovative and forward-looking in how we responded to the pandemic and the lockdown. And I definitely think everybody maintained their good humor um, to the extent possible under crazy circumstances. Um, The second thing I would say is one of the what was going to be one of the highlights of my year as president was that the INT annual meeting was supposed to be in Singapore in April of that year. Um, it would have marked the second time the annual meeting was in Asia. It was in Hong Kong a few years ago. That's right. There was a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of excitement around that. I have never been to Singapore. Um, 
So that didn't happen, and that was disappointing. But I will tell you the way in which INTA handled that curveball and um, came around to putting on its first all-virtual leadership and annual meeting in the fall of last year and how successful that was, was amazing. And then the third thing I would say about travel is the last time I was on an airplane was in February of 2020 when I flew home from an INTA conference in Barcelona. I have not been on an airplane since. So, mm. um, so yes, there is generally a lot of travel uh, uh, with respect to INTA, and I definitely did not do that in the course of my presidency. And, you know, the, the word pivot has been really front and center for businesses or, you know, and organizations. And how can we still achieve our goal, but yet in a different way, right? And for businesses, how can we still conduct business, uh, survive, um, but we need to think creatively and moving to a virtual platform was one of those ways. And I do think that a lot of organizations IP organizations included, look to INTA. What is INTA doing? How are they handling it? Were you getting, uh, were you contacted by other organizations uh, worldwide on, on, on how you were going to manage a shift from an in-person Singapore meeting, which had been planned, you know, years and years and years prior to kind of an, an about face, we need to we need to change. We still need to provide for our members, right? And yeah. their needs and, and change because it won't be in person. It's not safe. Yeah. I mean, we were in contact with other IP organizations for sure. And also ourselves trying to understand how other large in-person gatherings were morphing in real time. You know, for those listeners who don't know, the INTA annual meeting pre-COVID um, was at the point where we were having, you know, 10,000 plus registrants uh, for each of those meetings. It was a very large in-person meeting and will be again. Um, so, yeah, I think I always like to try to look for the bright side. I, I know COVID hasn't brought a lot of bright sides, but I will say the it really drove home the need to be flexible, um, innovative, dynamic in your thinking to, you know, get yourself out of your box and out of your comfort zone and really be able to, as you say, pivot, react, um, be willing to try new things. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it drove a lot of things. It drove, I think, a faster adoption of good technology than might otherwise have happened because of COVID. I think it drove um, a lot of um, team team activity that might not otherwise have happened if you were more limited to the person who was sitting next to you as opposed to, well, we're all remote and we're all on Zoom calls. And so it kind of uh, tore down some physical or geographic barriers. And I really do think it drove a lot of innovative thinking in INTA's case, to take the annual meeting as an example, what are the key things that are of value? How can we deliver those? Um, what are some things of value 
like flexibility and scheduling to accommodate time zones that maybe we didn't think about for an in-person meeting, but we did think about for a virtual meeting. Um, and I think, you know, I, I'm a member of a lot of different organizations. I also have a day job. Um, I think INTA uh, is an example of an organization that did really, really well with that kind of dynamic um, pivoting, creative thinking, and, you know, the ability to catch what the world was throwing and, um, you know, make necessary adjustments. Uh, so I actually think, you know, they did a phenomenal, phenomenal job of that uh, in 2020. And it certainly does take a, a, a team to make that dream a reality of, of that sort of conversion, which was which was having happening all over the world. Even local meetings, uh, conferences or just uh, connects type of meetings, networking meetings were going online everywhere. Absolutely. And I think, again, trying to understand how our members are coming together, why they're coming together. Is it networking? Is it substantive education? Is it business development? Is it a combination? Is it the INTA community? Is it a combination of all those things? And how we could best serve all of those aspects of the meeting um, with the technology available to us. I, I think it was a really valuable learning exercise for everyone at INTA involved in it, and certainly for me personally. So, so looking forward, uh, and I did think it was it was such a really out of the box thinking to flip the mid year meeting, which is normally in November. The timing with uh, the annual meeting, which is normally in May, and, and, and flipping them so that the annual meeting would then be in November. And originally it was Houston. Uh, I know that there were people planning on attending that meeting and that has, you know, just as we live with change as our normal, right? We, you know, that, that's just part of um, living right now. And now it's, um, we've had another pivot to a um, certain certain uh, cities around the world for uh, well, it'll be vir virtual in part and then in person for for a day in these certain cities. Can you just give us a little background on what was happening there and the decision making? Sure. So, you know, last year uh, there really wasn't an option for an in person meeting uh, given the state of the world, mm -hmm. uh, and this year. It was a closer question, um, but I think what we determined was because of how global INTA is, because our members are coming from lots of different places who are in different phases of dealing with the pandemic in their different countries, um, in their international travel, um, we felt it was not yet the right time for a full in-person meeting. In addition, um, as I said, we did find some value in having uh, some aspects of the annual meeting be virtual, but what we did want to bring back some of that in-person connection uh, that members have with each other, it's such a valuable part of being part of the INTA community. And so we came up with this hybrid model, um, which localized some of the in-person opportunities for members so that if it was too much of an obstacle to deal with international travel, that maybe you could at least attend and interact in person with 
uh, people maybe closer to home. So I think this is a transition year uh, where we're building off of the virtual meeting from 2020, um, looking forward to someday again, having a 10,000 plus in-person global conference and, and 2021 will be a year where we're kind of mixing the two. And then for the one day that's in person, what, what, what should uh, registrants expect for that day if they are able to attend in one of the cities? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there will be all the stuff that you would get on the virtual um, uh, aspect of the program, including the programming and the content. But honestly, the real plus to that is the ability to interact with other members in your region. And so I do think those in-person events will be sure to offer networking, business development, and other opportunities um, of actually being with people, which I don't know about you, but I missed so much from 2020. <laughs> so I'm kind of looking forward to that. And I do the, too. yeah, the ability to do that, even on a smaller scale, I'm hoping uh, will be uh, really of, of value to members to just see old friends and new friends and just be able to look someone in the eye and have a conversation. Amen. Well, I, <laughs> I, I just to be clear, uh, there are um, several cities in the U.S. It's New York and L.A. Am I correct? Um, yes. And I think it's New York and LA and then um, Hong Kong and Berlin. Those correct. are the four cities I've heard of. Are there, is that, so that is correct. And then are there any more? I don't believe so, okay. but I am less involved in the planning this year than I was last year. <laughs> <laughs> and probably some part of you, even a small part is amen to that too. Cause it is a lot of work. I love the experience last year, but um, Tiki is Tiki Dare from Oracle. Who's the 2021 president is doing a phenomenal job. So we're in good oh, hands. I, I am sure. Um, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll continue this discussion in a moment. Great. We have now started the candidate research process for the Women's IP World Annual 2022. The Women's IP World Annual is the industry's number one intellectual property law publication that celebrates the work and achievements of professional women working in IP, IP law and innovation globally. We are very proud to provide a platform for women working in intellectual property and innovation by shining a spotlight on their expertise and professional knowledge in their respective fields of operation in IP through engaging thought leadership content. Our annual publication has caught the eye of many IP associations from all over the world. More importantly, it has attracted a cocktail of awe-inspiring, knowledgeable women who are happy to share their professional and personal experiences of working in the industry. Our unbiased approach welcomes large to boutique law firms and female industry professionals at all levels to join our network of remarkable women from all over the world. The famous American journalist and women's rights advocate, Miss Sarah Margaret Fuller Osselai, once said, if you have knowledge, let others shine their candles in it, and we couldn't agree more. Contact us today if you would like to nominate a candidate to join the Women's IP World Annual 2022 or if you would like to personally share your knowledge, inspire and be inspired. You can contact us on plus 44 0203 813 0457 or email us at info at For more information and to check out the latest issue of the Women's IP World Annual, 
please go to www.womensipworld.com. The Women's IP World Annual, the industry's leading publication that celebrates the work and achievements of women working in IP, IP law, and innovation globally. The Women's IP World Annual 2022 is sponsored by Patent Seekers in the United Kingdom and Lexorbis in India. So Ayala, let's talk about your letter. It opens the 2021 Women's IP World Annual and it discusses how critical it is to promote gender diversity and facilitate the advancement of women in all areas of the workplace, including intellectual property, of course. So my jaw dropped, I have to tell you, when I read that 70% of healthcare workforce globally are women. Yeah. Because to me, as um, I happen to be a mom of four school-aged children, um, which might might make some pe- people's jaws drop, um, <laughs> In, in part, you know, because I know how involved I am in running the household, and I am not the only one. Mothers, not always, of course, but tend to be um, also the frontline worker, so to speak, at home. And, you know, I did have four children, e-learning, homeschooling, whatever you want to call it, for a year before they even went hybrid. Uh, so... There were certain challenges (laughs) that I faced and had to overcome. Um, And so I wanted to talk about that with you um, because it is so um, it's so disproportionate to what you might what what people might imagine. Um, And I know that you referenced the 2020 McKinsey report and the lean in um, organization. So. Can you tell us your thoughts and their findings? That would be, I, I think just so many people would would um, really be inspired and um, kind of awed to know um, the details on that. Absolutely. It, you know, the pandemic was so all-consuming for all of us. And one of the reasons I was so happy to be asked to write this letter is that, of course, that was front and center for everyone. But I really feel it's important to not have that overtake the importance of continuing to focus on the advancement of women. And to the contrary, as you point out, some of the findings during COVID um, have only underscored the importance of maintaining our focus on that. Um, I was also stunned by the statistic that 70% of healthcare workforce workers globally are women. I think when we think about nurses um, and and other supporting roles in the health workforce who were so, um, you know, on the front lines is exactly the right phrase during 2020, um, it it really is a, a wow statistic. And that's coupled with Women in the Workplace, which was published by McKinsey and Company and the Lean In organization last September, which was six months into the pandemic, um, it really showed a disproportionate impact of the anxieties and burdens of the pandemic on women, um, particularly working mothers, uh, senior level women and uh, African-American women Um, And in fact, at that time, which again is, you know, a little bit more than six months ago, 
they were looking, that report found 25% um, of those responding to the survey uh, were looking at kind of pulling back uh, from their careers, um, either leaving or, quote, downshifting, because the burdens of, you know, dealing with uh, being on the front line of family care, whether it's children or others, or even just the stress of COVID and the workplace on top of the other challenges women already experience had kind of reached a tipping point. And so that, you know, I encourage everyone to check out that report, but it's really sobering news and it underscored more than ever why this is such an important issue to keep in our sights. And I know since it's this is important to you personally and it has affected you professionally, that you were part of uh, the group that launched INTA's Women's Leadership Initiative and Leadership, the I, it's capital IP at the end, which I thought that was a nice touch as well. Can you tell us about the, that initiative? Absolutely. So we launched it, as I mentioned, uh, on International Women's Day in March 2020. And the goal of the initiative is to foster the development of strong leadership skills for women in IP and empower them to advance in their careers. Um, obviously, this is completely consistent with INTA's long-term commitment to diversity and inclusion. Um, so it was a good fit. INTA also has a great track record of women in leadership positions, both as presidents um, on the board uh, as committee chairs and vice chairs. So it was a great fit. And what we did in the course of our first year is we held a number of workshops with, um, in the first instance, women members of INTA from all sorts of different regions. And we discussed a lot of different things, but, you know, roughly speaking, focused them on the representation of women in the workforce in IP, the advancement of women to leadership positions in IP, and then what we call work-life integration. Um, I stole that from someone. I got tired of hearing work-life <laughs> balance because balance is not something you can sustain 24-7-365. Um, so work-life integration, which was really about how can you make what you need to do in your work life and what you need to do in your non-work life come together in a way that works. So those were the three topics. Um, we had a number of workshops with um, women from all sorts of female members of INTA from all sorts of regions. And then we had a couple of workshops that included both women and men at the annual meeting in November. Uh, for those annual meeting workshops, we had more than 450 registrants, again, from around the world, wow. um, which is uh, just knows how important this is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the jewel in the crown of this initiative again in year one was the publication of a report, uh, which is available publicly, um, uh, which summarizes both research that INTA staff did generally, but also the feedback and data from all of these workshops. And then, um, it has this kind of standalone uh, best practices toolkit. And our hope there is not only will the report inform women who are interested in advancing, but the report and the toolkit in particular will be something they can take back to their organizations, their firms, their companies and say, 
hey guys, you want to advance women, here are some tangible specific uh, ideas and best practices for that moving forward. So, you know, we're really looking to amplify that, not only with INTA members, but throughout the IP community. And then also critically, and I'm so happy about it, one of the great things about the Women's Leadership Initiative is it's not a one and done. We are now building this out to be a sustained platform within INTA, which we will continue to expand on. Uh, for example, in the next year, we're looking to focus specifically on the advancement of women in IP offices around the world, looking to build on those best practices toolkit and otherwise to integrate this into INTA's conferences, meetings, programmings, uh, et cetera. So uh, it's near and dear to my heart, and it's one of, I think, my proudest accomplishments in the year of my presidency. I really commend everybody to look at the report and in particular the best, the best practices toolkit. And it really couldn't be a better time and more needed right now. If someone was interested in getting involved, who do they contact? Is there an email address? So there is not a particular email address. Um, I think what you could do is, and I'm now giving her up, but the INTA staff <laughs> liaison uh, who is helping to support this is Dolores Morrow at INTA. So it would be D-M-O-R-O at INTA.org. And for the listeners, uh, definitely read Ayala's letter. It includes several examples of gender, let's call them um, gender difference situations that she has encountered. And um, I think that many, many of us um, would, would relate to certain situations that Ayala has um, experienced. Unfortunately, we don't have time to well, go. I, 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 I think I bought us two more minutes, Michelle. Oh, so oh, beautiful. Oh, I love that. I hope it wasn't expensive, but it's worth <laughs> it. Tell, tell us if, if you could, if you wouldn't mind sharing one. And again, you're not limited to what's in your letter, but if you could share one with us, because I, I do think that we can relate and then we can, we can close out our podcast session. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll definitely share one that was um, that was in my letter because it, it's notable for me. In my prior life, I was a litigator, and so I had to be uh, in the courtroom. Um, and again, especially as a younger lawyer, you take that seriously: how you're representing your client, how you're representing your firm. Um, and there was a time when I had to appear uh, in court on a case I was working on, and I was kind of sick, and I had a really bad sore throat. My voice sounded like a frog, but of course I plowed ahead anyway, um, and I showed up. And uh, you know, it was an older male judge, <laughs> and um, I got up, you know, he called my case and I got up to respond and my voice sounded as you would expect it to sound mm -hmm. from someone who had a bad sore throat. And I said a few words and he literally looked down on me from high on the bench over his bifocals and said in a full open courtroom, including the lawyer representing my client's adversary, if you're nervous, dear, my clerk can get you a glass of water. <laughs> Just like wow wow okay wow. um and the interesting thing about that is i've been practicing for enough years that 
I don't even know that that surprised me. <laughs> it it made probably, me, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but it's an example of how you have to be able in the moment to absorb and appropriately deal with um, those kinds of comments and situations, you know, uh, fully justify. I would have been fully justified in saying I'm not nervous. Um, I have, I'm sick, but I'm plowing forward. And would you say that to a guy? But of course that's not appropriate to a judge in an open courtroom. No. So you have to kind of navigate that. Um, and you know, uh, I hope there's less of that, but I also think it's, um, it's not gone completely. And I think, um, you know, women, part of developing as a woman leader is developing the skills to navigate that and also providing support to people newer um, in their careers uh, to help them navigate that. Uh, I will tell you another story <laughs> where um, I was uh, at, a, at a law firm still and we had a very, very important client uh, meeting with some very, it was a big Fortune 50 company and there were some very senior people coming and I was in the room because I had done the research on an issue they were interested in. And so the partner correctly uh, knew that I would have the most relevant information if he needed it. And um, I was helping myself to some coffee and one of the senior clients came over and said, I take mine with a cream and two sugars. <laughs> Double wow. <laughs> and I said... And I said, this was not open court with a judge. So I said, I take mine black. <laughs> Obviously it was not what he was going for, but to his credit, the senior partner had kind of seen that with half an eye and he moved as quickly as I'd seen him move. And, and he came over and he said, no, no, Ayala is one of the lawyers working on this. She's done a lot of research on this issue. It's going to be very valuable to have her here. So I think that's a situation where again, I spoke up in what I hope was an appropriate way, but also that's an illustration of when the allyship of males you're working with is also critically important. You know, uh, that, yeah. that partner knew well enough what was going on to come over and kind of assert himself about my credibility was super helpful. Absolutely. The, the support of men in the office is just as important, if not even more important sometimes than the support of, of, of our, our peers, our female we peers. Both. <laughs> both. I mean, everybody, we, everybody needs to support everyone, right? Absolutely. Um, for, for a positive uh, teamwork type of environment, right? Which gets us right back to the beginning, right? Of, of one of your pillars. Ayala, it has been wonderful to reconnect after so many years through this podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you, Michelle. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. We really do listen. Uh, until we connect in person, take good care. Women's Women's
You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.